All right. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. It's uh, only the second episode that we've done this year, which is crazy. I don't know why. We've had a few things uh, going on, a few th- few, a few rearrangements to contend with, but we're back on track right now. And in a minute, I'm going to introduce Philip Heltevig, who's the CEO of Cognigy, one of the market-leading conversational AI platforms, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, before I do that, though, you may recognize this uh, this logo this unparsed logo right here unparsed is back the conversational ai conference of the year the most loved conversational ai conference i would say is back uh, in london june 18th uh, 17th actually to 18th and 19th and we will be gathering a collection of ai practitioners and professionals 400 of them will all come together in london at the museum of london for three days i don't know what i'm saying for it's actually three days of immense learning best practice sharing networking and all sorts it's going to be absolutely immense we've got a design stage a development technical stage and we're going to be absolutely uh yeah bringing all kinds of experts together all kinds of immense content about how enterprises are deploying conversational ai generative ai large language models to solve real business problems you're going to learn design best practice emerging design best practice and how design is changing in the world of large language models and technical best practice about how to actually take this stuff to production reliable safely uh, and ethically as well so if you are interested in being a part of the unpars movement which i'm sure you are early bird tickets are on sale right now you can go to unparsedconf.com unparsedconf.com also if you're interested in speaking at the event you can apply to speak there as well and we're always looking for partners to uh, to help us actually put the show on so if you're interested in that there's a form on that website as well so please do check that out and uh, now tomorrow i'm also doing a webinar with servion servion is a system integrator and a cx consultancy that is working with brands all over the globe uh, to implement uh, effective cx strategies and i'll be doing a webinar with them tomorrow all about the future of the contact center and how ai is helping organizations scale their contact center i'll be sharing a methodology and a framework for going from zero to success and so if you're interested in that you can go to vux.world forward slash servion s-e-r-v-i-o-n and lastly next week we're doing a webinar with quick and loop car insurance loop car insurance have deployed an ai chatbot using generative ai uh, via quick and it is absolutely fantastic. The use case, uh, it's its kind of like a, a QA kind of uh, rag implementation, but it works really well. It actually manages the context of the conversation as well and can thread the conversation together. It's one of the best ones I've seen. I've tried to break it. I can't. <laughs> it is pretty pretty decent. We're going to be talking to Quick and uh, Loop Car Insurance about how they deployed that use case, what the success was, what the challenges and learnings were throughout that process, and how you can do the same. VUX.world forward slash events to check that one out. All right. Now then, without further ado, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, Philip Heltevig from Cognigy. Philip, welcome to VOX World, my friend. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Welcome back, I should say. That's right. Is it like I get a cap or something? Oh, well, you must have been doing your homework because indeed you do get a cap. You get the uh, the VUX World hat-trick for making your third appearance on VUX World. And so I know you have an event coming up in Dusseldorf, which I am honoured to be a part of. And I will bring this to you, to Dusseldorf, uh, to you in, in a couple of weeks' time. So thank you for getting your hat-trick and for returning to VUX World for the third time, third consecutive year, I think it is. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
So nice one. Thank you. Uh, so normally what we've done in the past when we've had these conversations together at the kind of start of the year is we sort of look back over the last 12 months and what have been the notable developments as far as kind of enterprise AI and automation is concerned, what have been the latest developments with Cognigy, what sort of trends and stuff like that are you seeing in the marketplace uh, and challenges that you foresee or are, are, are facing at the moment or you, your clients are facing at the moment. And then also a look forward to what do we think is going to be the trends? What do we think is going to kind of happen in the next in the next 12 months? So I think that's probably a nice place to start is maybe as a, a brief introduction for those of you that haven't seen the uh, the prior two episodes uh, with Phil and with Cognigy. Uh, and then we can maybe kick off by maybe telling us a little bit about some of the kind of most notable things that have happened in the last 12 months to advance either the conversation or the end result of enterprise automation. How are enterprises, how have they been approaching it in the last 12 months? Sounds great. Yeah. So quick introduction. My name's Phil. Uh, I'm the CEO and one of the three co-founders of Cognigy, one of the market leading conversational AI companies. We focus on uh, automating customer service and sales and marketing use cases using uh, modern AI technologies. And yeah, that's uh, that's what we do. And um, if you want to learn more, go to www.cognigy.com. That's um, C-O-G-N-I-G-Y.com to learn more. Now to your question, uh, it's actually interesting, right? When you, when you uh, like say we had met uh, four years ago and you would have said, what, what changed over the past year? The answer would have been relatively short, right? It would have been like, yeah, so a new embeddings model came out or a new language model, uh, like as in a new language was added to the platform and things like that. Whereas obviously 2023 was the, the, the breakout year for generative AI or artificial intelligence in general, right? Um, so it was it was the year of the true emergence of generative AI. Obviously, it had existed before, but uh, only really with the release of ChatGPT in November 22, it then uh, it then came into the onto the main stage, and everyone everyone was talking about it, right? And I think you you know when when a technology is really about to take off, when literally everyone talks about it, right? Like my parents would talk about it, and my friends in tech would talk about it. And um, and it it hit us like uh, like it hit the whole industry, like almost out of nowhere. We knew something was coming, but we didn't know how absolutely amazing it was going to be. And I think the whole industry kind of flip flop first from oh my god, this is amazing to oh my god, it can't work because it's hallucinating and and some of the results are not great. To then okay, let's actually make it useful, right? Let's let's honestly look at what are the challenges, but also what are the amazing benefits that this can bring. And I think it has, um, like any any conversational AI company had a roadmap in, in January last year, and then in February last year, they completely changed the roadmap to uh, to cater to generative AI, right? So, and also things like prompt engineering, retrieval augmented generation, rack, multimodal generative AI. I mean, those are words we didn't know existed 12 months ago. Right. And now you can see oh, there's job ads for prompt engineers. And then there's all these different techniques when you talk about retrieval, augmented generation, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been an absolutely a transformative uh, year for our industry. But it all, it's also, I think, been a very transformative year for any industry. Mm. Also with the emergence of generative AI in the workplace in general, in the, in the shape of co-pilots from Microsoft, for example, Right. All of a sudden, everyone's using AI. And I think it also did a lot. I mean, we have, of course, always been believers in, in conversational AI and in automation uh, through AI in, in the contact center. 
But the truth was the results that you could produce, say, 18 months ago, they were they were useful, but they were not they were useful, but they were not uh, they were not beautiful. Right. Mm. Whereas now the kind of um, conversational experiences you can create are, are really close to something we really only we had really only known in science fiction in the past. So the age of AI um, is here, right? Or the age of AI has begun, as Bill Gates um, said, and I think we can only echo that, that uh, we have entered a new age and, um, and 2023 was, was the transformative year where all of that happened. Mm. And, you know, beginning of 2023, you kind of come out of the gate pretty quickly with a whole load of different product enhancements and, you know, integrating generative AI into the Cognigy platform in various different ways. So I think the the first quarter of 2023, I think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, a lot of platform providers kind of came out and said, this is how we're thinking about large language models. This is how we think about generative AI. This is how we're integrating them into our toolkits. There you go. Now, what was the kind of impact of doing that on yeah. your clients like what were you, have, have you seen and what are the trends that you've seen over the last sort of 12 months now that you've made those tools available how are they actually being used in production by your clients yeah so i think mean, maybe taking a step back and looking at how can you use large language models in a in a tool set like ours or in an industry like ours right so of course, what what everyone did first, including us, and I think we were one of the first out of the gate with that actually, is to enhance your existing toolset with generative AI, right? So we have NLU models, and then we created ways to automatically generate example sentences through LLM. So we had flows, and then we so conversation flows, and then we created ways to um, have LLMs automatically generate those flows for us. But that's kind of really only taking a like a horse cart and and augmenting it with some technology, whereas actually maybe the new technology you could use to to create something completely new, which then would be a, like a car, right? And I think this is only what emerged over the over the um, course of the year. So we came out with these let's say editing enhancements tools uh, first, and then we brought out um, um, the, the prompt engineering piece so that you can prompt directly from within conversations. We also brought out some um, research previews on how we believe the future of conversational AI will look like, where you don't build conversation flows, where you don't create uh, intent models, et cetera, but where the LLMs are orchestrating the whole conversation piece. And then we, we brought out more and more tools like our own, uh, our own um, RAG tool called Knowledge AI, where you essentially just upload documents, point to websites, et cetera, it extracts the content from those. And then your bot is able to talk about those um, um, with quite some fluency. Now, to your question, how are customers using it? Because I think there are maybe one, one further distinction to make, which is important. When, when people think about large language models, everyone always thinks about the conversation capabilities of these large language models. And of course, these are amazing. But this also means that um, if they hallucinate, so if they output incorrect content, then um, this can actually harm your customer relationship, right? But there's a second piece which is overlooked at times, and that is classification, right? You can also use large language models to classify information, to extract information from text, et cetera. So you can do all these underlying tasks, but the output is actually still deterministic. So what we saw, we saw customers first applied in that, um, in that area where you would classify, for example, you would extract a booking code 
or you would see is a sentence that a user has written or an input in general is it too long can we summarize it with um with uh, llms and then give it to the natural language understanding systems etc because this is quite safe even if this fails like it's not going to output anything harmful to the customer hmm. because again over time only we then um we and the industry as a whole developed methods of um removing or limiting hallucinations right which made it safer to actually use llms also in the output generating way and customers are using it in production now so um, one of our large airline customers is using it in production first for um, data extraction summarization but also in reformulating outputs right so for example if you say um, i want to book a flight then it might say okay great let's look at that that's a regular output mm -hmm. if you say book a flight for my honeymoon maybe you say oh congratulations that sounds great let's take a look at that right so making it more um uh, empathetic the reply so that is uh, what's already being used in production right and of course things like um, knowledge basis and how you can extract uh, knowledge and give much better answers so in, in this airline example again if i say okay my dog uh, bellow weighs uh, nine kilos can i bring him uh, on the plane with me and might say, oh, I'm very sorry, uh, but uh, we, you can only bring dogs if they weigh up to eight kilos or something like that. So much more contextual answers. Mm. That's already being used in production as well. So we initially, because we are only dealing with large enterprise, at the beginning, everyone just had to figure out, okay, how, what, what are we even allowed to do? At the beginning, for some of these enterprises, it took months to just get access to large language models, right? Mm. And then it's things like compliance and et cetera, et cetera. But um, that's uh, that's been figured out for the most part, and um, customers are now using it in production. And of course, we know that the future is LLM powered in our industry. So um, yeah, I think we will see uh, more and more um, adoption coming in the uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks and months. Mm, definitely, I mean, the the definitely uh, the future is is well and truly, I think LLM powered. Um, the question i suppose in terms of where the technology is now and i think it sounds as though there's been a lot of kind of work done on on the cognitive side on this but the last i had a conversation with um the founder of deep pavlov and again with Braden ream um from voiceflow this was at the back end of last year and i was kind of saying you know a great use case for large language models for a risk-averse organization is to use it for those kind of classification type of use cases where everyone's had the experience where you've built a chatbot and people only when you put it live you find out how people talk to it and when people do talk to it they tend to in cases over elaborate so they don't necessarily know they're talking to a chatbot straight away and they'll have like this big paragraph and every single nlu system fails at that and so there's as you mentioned there a long utterance summarize it or classify it makes sense when i spoke to Braden and um and oh God, sorry i forget the, the guy's name now the deep Pavlov founder uh we um i asked what is the difference between kind of the classification performance of a large language model versus the classification performance of a a well-trained NLU system and both of them kind of said that in the tests that they've run the NLU system performs marginally better now I don't know how they've trained the NLU I don't know how they've trained the NL the large language model I don't know which large language models they're using but at least the the anecdotal evidence that I have at the moment is that the classification situation is 
marginally less effective. I'm not saying that, it, it, that it's all, all in all cases and also that in future it won't be great. I'm just wondering whether you have any other insights that you might be able to share on the classification issue, first of all, and, and whether you have any data around the effectiveness of classification for large language models. Well, I think, um, of course, I don't know the full context of, of why they gave the answers they gave, and but I, I can only make an assumption, and that is uh, talking about intent classification. So if we talk about intent classification, I fully agree, traditional NLU systems uh, will have a, a probably higher accuracy and especially can deal with much larger intent models, right? Our tests and also the tests of some of our customers show that if you give an LLM, say 15 intent names with a one line description of the intent, you give it a user utterance, it has an almost 100% hit rate on, uh, on getting the right intent. Now, if you increase that number to 50 or say 100 intents, then this deteriorates and even leads to hallucinations where it maps intents that don't even exist. So for intent classification, I would agree. Um, if you have a large number of intents, I would stick with uh, I would stick with NLU systems. Now, having said that, of course, in the LLM world, many things that used to be an intent, like FAQs, for example, will no longer be an intent because mm. they're not powered. The classification that I was talking about, though, is um, is more around extracting um, entities from sentences. And I want to give you two examples where it will be very difficult to build an extremely versatile NLU system. And I don't even know if you would do you do if you would do it using NLU or if you if you in the past you had to resort to essentially rule-based mechanisms. So we had a, a case in um, in the past couple of weeks where it was about dictating a shipment number. And now you can dictate a shipment number and you can say, okay, it's uh, 115678339. And then the bot reads you back the number and says, is this correct? Now, if you say, oh, actually, no, sorry, it's with a nine at the end. Mm. Like, this is something you can maybe anticipate and then that's why you built that functionality in. But what if I say, well, instead of the eight seven at the end, it's actually five, five, nine. And instead of the second five that you mentioned, it's actually a nine. So no NLU system can do that. LLMs can do that, right? Mm. So there's no way you can build an NLU that can cover all of these use cases. So in that we would then we would then use um, LLMs. Another interesting use case is because when, when you look at voice bots specifically on the phone, one of the most important components is the speech to text. And the speech to text gives you a transcript, but sometimes the, the transcript is incorrect and you also get different alternatives for what the transcript could be. Right. So Microsoft will give you like, I don't know, say five to 10 different alternatives of what the transcript could be. Now, what you could do if you ask for a booking code and let's say it's an alphanumeric string with with six characters. So it could be like ABC123. Um, now the user says something and the first result that comes back from the speech to text is does, does not really contain a booking code like this. But may, maybe it's in the third result and the third result has something like AH, BEE. CEE, five, six, and then maybe TEE, something like that, right? Mm. Of course, you could build a rule-based system around that, but again, you're not going to cover all the all the cases. Whereas if I would show this to you as a human, I go like, what's the booking code? You you would get it, right? ABC, one, two, uh, T, okay? Mm. And an LLM, again, can do that as well. So in these type of entity extraction scenarios, we've seen that the performance of LLMs I'm sure you can train a system that has a similar performance, but um, the effort to train that, like the, the prompting 
of uh, of the LLM to extract that takes you two minutes, mm. right? And then you fine tune it a little bit, and then it's five minutes. But uh, training a system like that will take you weeks. And uh, so I disagree in a way that classification is always better with traditional NLU system. It really depends on what you want to classify. Another good classification example is sentiment, right? So sentiment classification, sentiment analysis. Traditional systems used a bag of words approach to look at the last sentence that was mentioned and what words were in that. That's, of course, pretty useless. Because if you have a long conversation, you can have one negative sentence, doesn't mean the whole conversation is negative, mm. right? And LLMs are straight out of the box, really good at, uh, at judging the, the sentiment of a whole transcript, right? So in those kind of classification scenarios, I think LLMs are far superior and will only get better. Um, in, in others where it's really about like intent mapping, things like that, it's probably more traditional systems. And again, Maybe to summarize all of this, LLMs are not the answer to everything, right? We can tell, like, even in, in the rack scenarios, if we extract a table and it has uh, 30 rows and you ask something about the table, then maybe it hallucinates. Maybe a better way would be to restructure the question and actually ask a database and retrieve the answer from a database. So mm. just because LLMs are there, it doesn't mean that all the other ways of how we used to do things are no longer valid. Yeah, I think the the pendulum swings, doesn't it? You know, you have uh, this, uh, you know, at least in the minds of many new technology that hits the scene and it's like, that's the answer to all of our prayers and the solve to all of our problems. And then you kind of realise actually over time, the pendulum swings back to a more kind of balanced position, which is it's good for some stuff, not so good for other stuff. But I like what you were saying there in terms of like, you know, for certain things that, that is purely a classification problem, maybe a more traditional NLU is better. And I'm thinking there of things like, you know, multi-turn conversations around once you've identified the the intent, if you like, and now you're in a situation where you're asking for reference numbers or you're asking for, you know, you're taking someone down a more multi-turn sort of dialogue that's more straightforward, if you like. Maybe an intent sort of classification system there, it may be, may be better. But I, I can't help thinking of, you know, I don't know if you've saw Raza's kind of um, maturity, five stages of maturity for conversational AI or not. Um, but there's some really good stuff in there. And one of the one of the latter stages of, of an AI becoming more mature is that it can help users understand what it is that they need without them having to explicitly state it. So if you think about kind of most chatbots really are built from the perspective of we think the user is going to say something very direct and very blatant, which is something like, can I get all of your latest mortgage rates, please? <laughs> Whereas yeah. in reality, what they may say is, uh, my child is moving house and I'm thinking of downsizing. Now that's not going to trigger a mortgage rates intent because that's so ambiguous that it could mean anything. And so it could mean that they want mortgage rates. It could mean that they want to pay off their current mortgage and therefore find out how much that's going to cost. It might be that they're in the market to change their home insurance. or you know, it might, they might want to take their child off their home insurance. I don't know. It, it could be loads of different stuff that that could mean, you know. And it seems to me that in those instances, that's where large language models can help with some of that ambiguity. Um, and another example that I come across the other day, and I haven't done any testing on this just yet, but this is where I think large language models would perform really well is I was talking to Amazon's chatbot because I bought some stuff on Amazon. It was actually some of this gear in this, in this studio. I bought some stuff. 
looked at my credit card statement and my credit card statement amounted to whatever the number was, but it was like broken down into loads of different transactions. And I looked at my Amazon orders and the Amazon orders didn't add up to anywhere near what was billed on the credit card. So I ended up actually getting through to someone on Amazon and I was like, look, my credit card bill says I've spent, call it 300 pounds. But in, I add up the total of the stuff I've bought and it's only 250. Now, I never once said I've been overcharged or I want a refund or any of those blatant things that most NLU models will be trying to look for. I kind of give them a scenario and I sort of had them, the person on the other end had to fill in the blanks and work out that there's a discrepancy in the payments and therefore what I'm really asking for is, is a refund or something similar, you know. So I think that's kind of where, for me, large language models are really hitting the sweet spot is to deal with the complexities of language that you can't easily define and book it into buckets, you know. Yeah, well, that's exactly right, and this is a this is an approach that we take we take uh, in research as well. We tend to think in terms of technology too much, right? But what you really got to do is you got to step take one step back and go, how would a human do that, right? So if you if you the scenario that you just outlined, someone like you're calling Amazon, going like, okay, I bought stuff uh, for two hundred and fifty on Amazon, but I got charged like my credit card statement says three hundred. If the person's not trained well, they might say, oh, yeah, that, that's a discrepancy, but, but not anticipate that you want a refund, right? So it takes training uh, also for a human to figure this out correctly. If you would say this to my eight-year-old son, he probably wouldn't know what, what to do with that input you're mm. giving him. So I think um, th there will be new, just like every day there's something new coming out in the whole LM world, right? And, and we're experimenting with like multi-layer um, intent, intent mapping approaches based on LLMs. So for example, with, with this, you might say, okay, it is about a purchase. And if it's about a purchase, you make another um, prompt uh, where you ask something more specific. So you whittle it down. So you don't give it 510s, but you actually categorize it further and further until you then find the find the correct thing, right? But I think the in the end, um, as you said, the pendulum in the beginning, and, and this is still the case for some enterprises, I think it's, it swings into this direction of, okay, we're, we're just gonna do everything with this, right? A good example, we bring out our um, knowledge AI solution and a customer tests this with two PDFs and says it works great. And then they say, okay, um, next week I'm going to upload 10,000 PDFs. <laughs> yeah, and you go like, okay, well, I'm not sure that's the right way to do this. Right? Like, We should categorize this somehow. Of course, you can upload 10,000 if you want, but that's not going to fix the, fix the problem. And then this person literally said to me, uh, well, but ChatGPT read the whole internet. How is that different? Right, it's because it's kind of like this. I mean, everyone has challenges in their daily uh, work, and then all of a sudden there is this magical AI tool, and everyone was like, "This, this is going to solve everything." Right, I presented in front of a leadership team at a large bank, and uh, we spoke about customer service, and then all of a sudden the conversation took a turn where also had a finance said, "Yeah," and then it can analyze all the financial reports, and it can give it like credit ratings and all. And I said, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> That's not what it's for, right? And um, but yeah, because it isn't so amazing, and it kind of also fakes being amazing at everything, right? So that's why people then, um, yeah, go a little bit wild in the uh, in the expectations. But the pendulum is coming back again to the middle, as you said, and I think the um, the true answer will be um, a mix of both, right? Because what people also I think sometimes underestimate if you're calling a, a call center to let's say get a new credit card. The person on the other on the other end is not uh, just winging the process, 
they essentially have a process diagram in front of them that they're following. Okay, I need this, I need mm. that, that, right? So why shouldn't we have that with a bot? But we need to use LLMs to be able to flex, to, to be very flexible in um, how the user inputs are handled. So let's say I say, what's your, um, what's your date of birth? And you don't give me a date of birth, but you say like, do you mean the one on my birth certificate or whatever it is? We should have primed the, the bot to be able to handle that and say, yes, exactly. That's the one uh, that's the one I'm looking for. Right? Maybe that's not a good example, but couldn't come up with anything. Mm. Right. Or what's your customer number? And then how, how do I find that? Blah, blah, blah. And without anticipating it, you can actually use LLMs to handle those, e handle those individual queries, even though you're in a structured process, you can handle those individual queries um, in a much better way. Right. Mm. And again, just think about how humans would do it. If you ask me for my, um, like, because sometimes a conversation, like that, we, we invent these crazy scenarios. So let's say an email address, a customer number, and a date of birth. Now we optimize for the fact that what if a person says all three things at the same time? Yeah. In a contact center conversation with a human, this does not happen. They say, okay, what's your email address? You're not going like, my email address is this, and my customer number is this, and my date of birth is this. This is not going to happen, right? You're going to ask for the one thing for the next thing, but you want to handle queries about those individual questions, right? So yes, we can handle all of them at the same time, but I think taking a step back and going like, how would a human actually do that? That mm. helps a lot because we have a technology here that can make everything much more human-like. I think this is really the the beauty of this new, you know, of this new technology. Mm. The understanding and a language perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can, there is a case where, in fact, we've had, we have one scenario uh, where in a chat context, users do kind of do that quite a bit, which is, you know, they, they, they anticipate, if you like, what they need to do in this, this is a debt collection example. And uh, they'll just begin the conversation by saying, my, my name is this, I live here, my reference number is this, and I've just received a letter. Now, a human would see that and they'd be like, okay, I understand everything you've said. Now I can move on. All I need to do is just to double check your date of birth or whatever it is, the final step of authentication. Um, but obviously a traditional NLU system falls flat on its face. And so a large language model in that context is a useful tool because we can say, okay, go through this and, and pick out the, the, these details, um, which is, which is, uh, which is great. Um, going back to what you were saying before around last year, the first part of the problem for enterprises was for them to do things like get access to large language models, um, then to figure out how to use them effectively. Uh, once they're kind of like, is it, a, is it a case where, for example, the Cognigy platform, you have the ability for those enterprises to bring their own language models and that's part of the kind of the the deal? Or is it that they had to go through an additional period of uh, you know, due diligence or whatever it might be in order to use the models that you're providing? Well, so in Cognigy, we always have both, right? You can use the Cognigy provided models or you can bring your own key, especially for large enterprises, the, the bring your own key is that's really a yeah, key to what, 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 uh, what their requirements are. That's for data privacy reasons, um, et cetera, right? And especially with services like speech to text, text to speech, but also, um, uh, LLMs, of course, this is this is very important, right? Cognigy in itself can also run on on premise, and some of our largest customers run on premise, meaning in their own cloud infrastructure. 
for data privacy reasons. So then we don't have any access. So yes, customers can bring their own keys and uh, in most cases um, actually do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the second part of that is they now have kind of access to large language models. They're figuring out how, how, how to use them. The privacy and security is obviously a factor. So where does the data go? And especially if we're in a situation where, you know, in that debt collection example I was sharing, if we're going to take personal information from people, where's that going and how is that stored? And so maybe it'd be worth in getting your thoughts on uh, on that and, and how you can alleviate those questions for enterprises. And then second to that is the question of, you mentioned earlier on that you put some things in place and some other tools that perhaps don't completely remove hallucinations, but do a good job at kind of getting towards that. Because that's the second kind of fear, I suppose, is what if this thing does what the DHL bot did the other week and the Chrysler bot did the week before and starts just chatting shit to people. So two things. What's your kind of uh, your um, advice around security and privacy to make sure that personal data from customers is kept safe and secure? And secondly, what is what are the things that you've implemented that do try and get a handle on, on hallucinations? Yeah, two very loaded questions. We can talk an hour just about uh, data privacy. I, I, I said yeah. that today, we 50% of the time we discuss uh, data privacy. Mm. So it's, it's a very multi-layer problem, right? And there are aspects like, okay, who are the, who is the LLM provider? For let's say a financial organization in Europe, it will not be easy to work directly with an only American-based organization on large language models. For example, there are data sovereignty issues uh, as well, which is why in most cases, or maybe in, yeah, I would say in most cases, we're currently seeing large enterprise working with Microsoft on uh, local deployments of large language models. So that can help. And then there, there are also um, the guarantees that the LLM provider gives you. Right? Is it a stateless system? Like, are you pushing something in? They're not storing anything, not for training, not for anything else, not, not for logging, and just something comes out and then it's gone. Now, that kind of guarantee from a company like Microsoft, of course, means a lot in the, um, in the um, data privacy discussion. It's actually this, it, the discussion is the exact same discussion we had for years around um, speech text, right? Mm -hmm. Or text -to speech uh, as well. So, that is very important to see who's, who is the company we are partnering with for the uh, large language model piece. But then, of course, you can also do things like when an input comes into a, into a system like Cognigy, we can, um, we can remove PII data, et cetera, before it goes to the, um, uh, to the LLM. Now, with your example earlier, the debt collection example, this is interesting because, well, firstly, you said that you can really only do this with an LLM. I'm not so sure about that. I think we, we did that for years, but it wasn't as performant, of course, as LLMs are, right? Mm. But secondly, if you do want to use it to classify this kind of freeform information, then essentially you're already saying, well, data privacy is, is that's going to be problematic in this example, because what are you going to filter? If you filter everything out before you give it to the LLM, then there's nothing for the LLM. Right? Yeah. So it's um, it really depends on the use case, it really depends on the industry in healthcare, where we talk about things like HIPAA compliance, and so on. Of course, we have different um, different requirements from the customers than if you talk about a a traveling circus, right? Then mm -hmm. it will matter as much. So, yeah, it really depends on the industry. Uh, it really depends on the company. And um, some companies are have much uh, stricter data privacy requirements than others. Mm. So, yeah, but it's just a, it's just about giving the customers 
the freedom and the tools to um, comply with their own data privacy requirements. And I think this is the key. Can we filter out PII data? Can we choose the LLM provider, right? Those things, I think, are very important uh, aspects that are not covered by many platforms uh, out there. Mm. Now, the second part of your question was around um, reducing hallucinations. Now, the, the companies that should really reduce hallucinations are, of course, the LLM providers themselves, right? And I think this is the number one thing everyone's working on, because if these things don't stop hallucinating, then you, you just can't use them for certain use cases. Now, what you can do um, with platforms like Cognigy is you can use a multi-pronged approach. So say you are asking a question, an article is retrieved from a database, and then the question is answered based on that article, but the answer is completely hallucinated. Let's just say, rather than just outputting this, you can use security mechanisms like, like um, hallucination shields that we have, where it, the answer will actually be checked whether it actually comes from that article that was extracted, right? And you can do funny things. You can, for example, write a prompt where it pretends that it's a teacher and it says, okay, a student had to answer a question. This was the question. And it was given, the student was given this article, and this is the answer the student gave. Please answer whether the student answered this correct or not. Mm. And if you role play like that, this can actually help you uh, then get a much better answer, right? And then, for example, if it says, no, the student did not get this answer uh, right from this article, you can go back to the LM and say, okay, do it again, but this is not the answer. And then you have a much higher chance to uh, to remove hallucinations. Mm. But again, I think this is... Um, I know there are companies out there that tell you uh, they've cracked this, they can remove hallucinations 100%, and that's just not true. Like OpenAI would never claim that, Microsoft would never claim that, because it's just not the case at the moment. But the hallucination problem has, with the emergence of more powerful models like GPT-4 and GPT-4 Turbo, and also the new Claude models, um, has gotten a lot, a lot less severe than it was a year ago. Mm. A year ago, it would, like right now, it might hallucinate effect incorrectly, yeah? A year ago, it would just hallucinate characters. We <laughs> know what that what it means. Right? So it's gotten a lot um, a lot better. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and so, what about you know, the, if the challenges that businesses had last year was getting access to the models, um, you know, dealing with and figuring out how to deal with hallucinations, uh, getting their heads around how to apply generative AI to their use cases. What are the challenges of 2024 that enterprises are facing now? And, and, and what kind of ideas or solutions do you have to, to help mitigate those? It's a little bit to what, uh, so my answer is going to allude a little bit to what, what you said earlier, where it's like, okay, this technology comes out and then everyone was like, okay, th this is going to solve everything. We don't need these huge IT projects anymore to do this and that, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, it's not true. Now you're doing huge IT projects with, with, around LLMs. Okay, mm. so... Um, organizations are, are figuring out, okay, like large organizations where we talk about uh, about like peak high performance computing, right? So, and what I mean by that is some of our deployments, maybe they have a base load of a thousand users talking to the bot at the same time, then a snowstorm hits, and then this skyrockets to a hundred thousand mm. within 10 minutes, right? All flights get canceled, boom, 10 minutes, and, and then it just skyrockets. Now, there are questions around scalability, reliability, resilience that uh, I, I don't think have been fully answered uh, yet, right? You still run into 
token limits, um, you still run into services not being available. Um, and if you if you really want to rely on large language models in these um, high peak scenarios, you're going to have a hard time at the moment. Mm. Right? So what, what we suggest at the moment is um, if, if this fails for a couple of times, just shut it off during a, during a hyper, um, hyper, um, high peak period. But that, that's going to get solved. Right. Again, that's why big companies like Microsoft, Google, Amazon are now behind this with their infrastructures so that this kind of thing can be solved. Maybe you want to have things like fallbacks, right? You make a request to one region in Azure to get your LLM results. If that doesn't respond within, say, I don't know, 500 milliseconds, you make a request to the next uh, to the next region, right? So mm. fallback cascades, things like that. Um, I think that's that's not something a lot of companies have really tackled yet. Right. Everyone's been dabbling around with the, with the web interfaces and maybe a little bit with the APIs and things like that. But that's also on, on Cognigy, right? Like we have to make this, um, like we have to enable customers to do that in an easy way. So we have these kind of fallback cascades, et cetera, in, in the product already. And um, I think that's really, it shows more and more that it, it, to use large language models in a context, in a context, you actually have to embed it into a, an orchestration platform like Cognigy. Because otherwise, you have to build all of that kind of stuff yourself. Mm, mm. And then, lastly, what what kind of advice do you have for the businesses that are still kind of on the fence about this and still kind of, you know, debating? And you know, there's a, too much of a hallucination risk, and there's you know, don't know how to do with the whole sort of privacy situation, and you know, we're not really sure. Maybe we should do something for our agents instead. Is, is what I'm hearing a lot of. You know, a lot of, especially a lot of the the you know, I won't name names, but there's a lot of vendors out there on the CCAS side who really they're not really talking much about automation and they're talking really about that kind of low-hanging fruit which is call summarization you know uh, displacement cloak code generation and those kind of like back-end stuff where you can do after the calls kind of process you're not really dealing with a live customer environment and i think it's all for me it seems a little bit too sort of i don't know too safe if you like the value is in the automation you know uh, as well as giving the agents the tools to be able to deliver automation so what what's your kind of advice to those kind of companies who in one ear they've got one provider saying hey just do call summarization in the other ear they've got kind of compliance and risk and legal on their backs going oh we can't let this thing loose in front of our customers what's your kind of like you know your your, your pitch to them to say look this is this is what you should consider what what, what do you tell those kind of companies I mean, in a way, in a way, you've already said it, right? We also tell customers start with things that are not risky, and we have kind of like a risk matrix, right? Empowering, like, no, let's start with classification. So classification is not risky at all, right? And you can already get a lot of value out of that because, in the end, in contact center automation, it's all about the containment rate, right? So anything that drives your containment rate up is good. If you use LLM powered classification and that drives your containment rate up, great, right? So you can do that. It's essentially risk free now. Um, you can also do um, like knowledge base uh, retrieval that is a little bit riskier because of course you're using a prompt to actually extract the uh, the answer in the end. But still, we, we are we are seeing a lot of customers warming to that and starting to put that into production as well. Now, what you said around agents completely true. Of course, uh, in Cognigy we have uh, we have a product called AI Copilot. It's essentially agent uh, agent assist, also powered by uh, by LLMs, call summarization next step, uh, knowledge retrieval, et cetera, for agents, also relatively risk-free because what if the, what if the LLM hallucinates 
and gives a completely wrong answer, and then the agent reads out that wrong answer, right? So actually, the, the risk is is similar. But the truth is, um, so the advice that I would give is I would have enterprise accept enterprises accept that this is the future, and you can either work on these barriers now, right, on these roadblocks like the the regulatory stuff, legal compliance, all of that. Start working on that now. It's at one point you have to work on it, right? So you might as well get started now because in two years' time, when all of your competitors are doing it and everyone's having a great time and you haven't even started yet because you were too scared, then you're trying to scramble and then you're going to make mistakes, right? Now, of course, don't do what the, what I think it was DPD, right? Uh, did. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a great example one why you should not just connect your little chat widget to chat GPT. Mm. Right? So you need a layer in between. And I think this layer can offer a lot of um, a lot of safety that you otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that. In fact, I know of a platform that essentially all it's doing is connecting a chat widget to Chat GPT APIs, and all they're doing is they're feeding what's being said in the last part of the conversation into the prompt. And then basically the whole conversation has just been managed purely based on feeding the model the prompt of the conversation transcript that's gone. And it's like you're going to get to a point where after a few turns in the conversation, every single prompt, you're increasing your risk of hallucination because you're adding more stuff to it. Uh, and it's it's it's, uh, it's mad. But another thing is, is that, you know, is it the case that all agents, when they speak to customers all the time, always get everything right? And I don't really think it is, you know, and I think that there's an interesting dynamic here playing out, which is that people expect driverless cars not to kill anybody at all and AI systems never to get anything wrong whatsoever. But we don't place the same demands on the people. <laughs> so, you know, fair enough, you've got to deal with how sensitive is the use case and how risky is it and, you know, what brand damage potentially could come from it. But like the fact that there is the frailty of the potential of hallucination isn't really any different to the people that you might have working there. <laughs> I, think, I think we are putting the same demands on on people. So taking your uh, AI bias example for self-driving cars, the thing is that if, if you hit someone and, uh, and cause damage, then um, you're being sued. Mm. But what happens if, if an AI-powered car does that? Who, who's getting sued, right? Yeah. So I think it's, it's, again, it's a regulatory question. And uh, of course, you're very right. And this is, uh, this is actually an argument we use all the time. Um, I have an example where I called uh, where I called an airline and they, they told me, are you going to get a refund for this, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then I never got the refund. And I called in again. And then I was told, oh, yeah, sorry, this was actually not the right answer. You're, you couldn't cancel your flight and get a refund. Mm. I got it then afterwards, of course. But uh, so, yeah, the contact center agent just didn't, didn't give me the right answer, right? But I think what you can do, because it, it, you just you can still take a lot of load off the agents, right? You can do the safe stuff with LMs uh, as well, right? And that will increase the containment rate already and still lead to a better customer experience. So I think right now the answer is really a, a mixture of traditional technologies that we used in the contact center that we have used for many, many years that are proven and safe, plus the power of LLMs that it gives us to be to create much more human-like conversations. Um, in a way that was just wasn't possible before. Mm. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Well put, and uh, and, a, and a good note to end on, Phil. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to kick off the year with you again. And looking back and looking forward is always uh, always a fun task. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, for those of you uh, still listening and tuning in, do not forget that we have the uh, Servion webinar tomorrow, vux.world forward slash Servion, and also the quick webinar the week after, vux.world forward slash events, and get your Unpass tickets right now. Early birds are uh, on sale right this minute, unpassedconf.com. And also, we can plug the Cognigy event happening in, uh, in February. Is it February 20th and 21st or 19th and 20th? It's twenty uh, from twenty first. Twenty from twenty first. There you go. So, is, is that open access? Can people can people go and get a ticket and come, or is it invite only? You go to the website, Argenti Experience Summit twenty twenty four, and sign up. See you there. See you there. There you go. We'll put that link in the show notes as well. Uh, thank you all for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again, Phil, and we'll speak to you all on the next one. Thanks very much.